introduced to about 2,000 uh, together in a, in a church in Southern California. We're on leadership pastoral team. It was really a good time. I was still single at that stage. Well, just single. But uh, yeah, it's been amazing. And just a great friend, great friends, great uh, ministers. They took a great church. I'm telling you this not to build them up, just so you know who you're hearing from. <laughs> Because it does, you know, we need a testimony what we're preaching. A lot of guys have great truth, but actually never lived it. We're not perfect in any sense, but we're trying to live out what we preach. And I can tell you, these guys have stayed the course. They've been in ministry many years. They're happily married. They've got great family, great kids in ministry. They serve faithfully on our team, have for many years. How long have you been on this team? Steve, do you know? 100 years? I don't think we've been going that long, but Okay. Same time as me, so I, I, don't know. I don't know. I was born on this team, so I'm not sure. Anyway, it's been a while. You know, it's we kind of years, weeks, months. It's been a many, many years, and, uh, and I really do want to honor them. I, I feel like the deposit they'll make this morning, certainly Steve will be ministering. Terry will be part of the panel later on. And please know that panel's not just to kill time. We have some real imp- impartation and trusting uh, for some stuff to happen through the panel and the question. And they get they're good questions. And no, yes and no questions. There's this impartation, a different expression from a different group, different uh, uh, gifts uh, that can impart similar truth but express differently. That's the strength of team. And NCMI is basically simply a team. That's all we are, a team of gifts. Ephesians 4 talks about these gifts. Sorry, I just got to say this so you know who we are. Ephesians 4 talks about apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers given by Christ to the church for the church. These gifts don't exist. The church doesn't exist for these gifts. Like most ministries today, we need your church to fulfill our ministry. Join us. No, that's not what Jesus said. He said, I gave you gifts to the church for the church. So these gifts exist for you, for your church to be able to function in what God intended your church to function in. It's the opposite way, and that's what God intended. So we're trying to be that team, simply gifts to the church, for the church, to equip her to get the, for works of service or ministry, but ultimately to bring us to maturity so Jesus can come back. And so that's what this team's all about, and these guys are on our team and based here. So Steve, would you come out, please? This is Steve Barr, and I hope you're not offended that he's wearing shorts, but... We all do whatever we want to do, right, Steve? And uh, he is wearing a collared shirt, you might notice. That. Yeah. But let's stretch out our hands as we pray for our Sunday buddy. Suit. Yeah. He's from California. Well, Houston. But anyway. Yeah, Father, we thank you so much that today is a day that you honestly, we believe, have made. And we want to rejoice and we do want to be glad in it. We know that today you want to speak. You are a God who's not silent. You're not quiet. You're not holding out. But you're a God who reveals, who speaks, who shows. And you know every one of our situations in this room, but you want to speak into that. And so we ask you to do that through this man this morning. We know that you give gifts to the church for the church. And we receive this man as a gift. And we want to receive what you have to say in him and through him. And would we learn, Holy Spirit, teach us tonight, today. Be the teacher, Holy Spirit. Reveal it of truth. And uh, may we be different. May things just in our minds and the way we lead as we go forward together. May Jesus, you be glorified in everything that's said and done today. We ask that we believe for that and we're going to do all we can to make sure that happens as we give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Go for it, bro. Amen. Thanks, Ty. Good morning, everybody. Uh, It's a privilege to be here. And thanks to Ty. And just... uh, 
he didn't ask me to do this, but just kudos uh, to him and Nicole. Uh, Ty uh, leads a consistent life and preaches a consistent message. You heard it last night, and you'll never hear anything different. You'll hear it from a different uh, uh, direction or a different angle, but it will always be about Jesus. And so appreciate your faithfulness and consistency and uh, longtime friendship. And Tyron, uh, I don't know if you, if you remember, pray, pray for him. Uh, some of the team uh, uh, is here today, but um, Tyron leads a team of uh, over 500 couples like, like us here. And I don't know if you've ever tried to lead leaders before, but leaders are difficult to lead. So. <laughs> Uh, but it's, it's, it's a big job, and uh, God has you in the right spot. And uh, Tyron does have a gift to bust open walls, and uh, we all have different giftings on the um, uh, team, but I, my, one of my gifts is to pick up pieces and start uh, putting them together so that you can uh, uh, live them out on a day-to-day basis. But then to, together, all of us working together, are that gift uh, to the church. And so a little bit about my story. Um, I grew up in Santa Barbara, California at the beach. And uh, my dad left my mom before I was born. And my mom died when I was five years old. Went from foster home to foster home. Uh, Some were okay, some were not okay. Finally, uh, just before I turned eight, I moved in with a a family. He, He was pastor and his wife. They had five kids of their own. And they took my two sisters and me in. So that's eight kids, and uh, that's my family to this day. And so um, one of the big side benefits of that is my new parents uh, were best friends with Terry's parents, and our moms have been best friends since junior high school, and so long standing there. So we, we grew up together. We met when we were five and seven and uh, fell in love then. No, it was, a little, <laughs> it was later in high school. We caused our parents a little consternation <laughs> So when we started liking each other. But uh, I gave my heart to Christ because I heard about Jesus, eight years old, came down the center aisle of a little wow. uh, community church in Santa Barbara, and I knew that I knew that I knew that I wanted to follow Jesus as much as an eight-year-old can understand, and uh, he has been faithful ever since. I love him more now. Uh, just this last December... Uh, first Sunday in December just passed was 60 years I walked down that aisle. And so I love Jesus. So he's always been faithful. I have not always been faithful. I've blown it big time. So uh, raise your hand in here if you've, ne- if you've never um, messed up. There's always one in the crowd. <laughs> uh, we're all here because of the grace of God. And we are sinners in need of a Savior. But we don't have to walk around with our heads held low and hung low. We get to walk in freedom. Amen. We are, we are uh, set free from, from bondage. We are set free from all our past shame and all those things. And uh, he's, he's cut off the, my backpack of shame and rejection and, and all the stuff that, that goes with it. I'm so thankful. And, and so anyway, uh, long story uh, short, Terry and I, I uh, got married uh, rather young, and uh, she was 18, I was 20. Uh, we finished raising each other, we say, and it was, it was quite fun, but uh, we wanted to serve God. We love God. We, we started going to a church in Southern California in 1978 and spent 22 years there. Uh, a short time, we were in leadership and on eldership for many years there, and eventually, 
uh, I became the school superintendent. I was on the pastoral staff, but I, I ran the school. We had 1,000 kids on campus every day, and we were uh, covering for 300 homeschool families, and that was my dream job. I loved it. Uh, I got to think up stuff for everybody else to do. That was my job, and uh, it was great. Terry was an attorney in Orange County, and I, it's an oxymoron, right? Christian attorney. And so it is, anyway. So we were both living our dream jobs, and we felt God's call on us uh, about 23 years ago, four years ago. And uh, long story short, we, Tyron's dad, Dudley, and his mom, uh, Ann, uh, met us in our living room, and they said there's a little church in Southern California, or Northern California, and they um, are about to die. They're about to fold and close the doors, and they need some help right now. And... Uh, there was just a, a second he said that. There was a, a, something that sparked in me, and I said, this is it. This is what we have been hovering and kind of preparing for several years, and this is it. And he goes, they need people that are a couple that's experienced in ministry, and, and uh, you know, they can, they, they, they've been around the block, and, and they can't pay them anything. <laughs> so we did. And <laughs> we did. So we took a 60% pay cut. And six weeks later, we were up in Northern California, and first Sunday there, there was 25 uh, people at the church, and we just turned over last uh, March. Uh, Ty was there, and uh, just a, a healthy community, uh, three services a weekend, lots of uh, community groups, and um, just every day of those 21 years was a honeymoon, wow. ministry honeymoon, every single day. Yes, there is problems because, you know, there's people, there's problems, but I'm just so thankful uh, for what the Lord has done. And, and uh, somebody asked me once uh, why we're still in ministry after all these years, and I said, I think we're just too stupid to quit. <laughs> if you just hold on, Dave Kraft in his book, Leaders That Last, says that 70% of people who set out to do uh, the will of the Lord and answer the call don't finish. 70% don't finish. And uh, it's a faithfulness and, and a track record is something that God is uh, looking for in his people. Not, not pizzazz and lightning bolts and, you know, eloquence and uh, grand, grandiose uh, entries. And uh, so, but just a faithful people that will stay the course. And so I'll talk a little bit about that. So we moved to Texas. I love Texas. Uh, my son... Uh, his wife came here 14 years ago, planted a church in, uh, right near NASA, where NASA is in the Houston area. And then our daughter and her husband came to help them. And now between the two families, they have, we have seven grandkids all within 10 minutes from us. So we are living the dream now there. We, that was pretty hard to be 2,000 miles away for all those years. But uh, I like Texas. And uh, there's a few things I like about Texas. One is I learned that you don't accelerate immediately when the light turns green. <laughs> and I learned that a yellow light means go faster. <laughs> so <laughs> a few things. <laughs> and uh, just so if you haven't heard, y'all is singular. All y'all is plural. And all y'alls is plural possessive. <laughs> so if, you, if you're a grammar person. <laughs> I was a teacher, too. So, and if somebody says they're fixing to do something, it doesn't mean something's broke. <laughs> 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 
Barbecue is a food group, yep. and Whataburger is pretty good. Yeah, that's right. So that's the Texas hamburger place. And Sundays uh, seem to be for church and football. Yeah. That's kind of what I've learned about Texas so far. And there's wonderful, friendly, kind, generous people here, and I'm proud to have a Texas driver's license. I don't think you get a birth certificate from Texas, but <laughs> if they could, they would. So, <laughs> uh, so the, the theme of, of this uh, weekend is we've never been this way before, and on one hand, that's exactly right. We never have been this way before. On the other hand, we have been this way before, because if we're trusting Jesus, it is a faith walk, right? We, we never really know all the way. Uh, the steps of a righteous man or woman are ordered of the Lord. Not the, not the whole pathway, but your next step. Uh, your word is a light unto, unto my feet, or lamp unto my feet and light unto my path. It's always we, we know where it is and we can maybe see a few feet down, but not, not the end. Uh, it's times like these when God opens the shutter doors and gives us a glimpse of what could be. Sometimes we call this a mountaintop experience. You go to a retreat or something like this. It's like being on a mountain, you can see clearly, you can see the next mountain peak way over there. But to get there, we got to go down the hill, go through the forest, through the swamp, cross the river, and do the thing, get up there again, because that's life. Living up here is not reality. We could not always be here. We, we need to engage down there. So uh, anyway, I'm going to be sharing uh, from my heart with you. Um, I just want to say from the front, I am not it, and you're not it either, and Hope Rock Church is not it, and NCMI is not it. Paul says in Romans 12 that each of us is part of it. We're part of it. If we're the body of Christ, we all have a place. We are none of us the head. Jesus is the head. That spot is taken. So the rest of us, whether visible or invisible, we have a part uh, to play. So a couple things. I'm going to... Uh, talk about a couple of different areas, and we'll see how far we get. I, just observations. We live in an age of increasing lack of direction. Um, we live in an age of increasing uh, lack of foundation and lack of time and hurry. But just talking about the thing of lack of direction, um, have you ever gone on a trip that you hadn't been before? Like the kids in the backseat, where are you going to get there? You know very well where, where it is, but the kids don't know because they haven't been there before. So uh, sometimes when people, we hosted so many people in Disneyland, when you go to Disneyland, sometimes people say, will you show us, you know, the secrets and the, you know, we don't want to waste our day and this kind of thing. And, and so we we go show them show them the ropes, and they'd have a great day. Other people they'd rather look at the brochure and go on their own, all right. And some of you are one way, and some of you that's fine. Uh, or say, or if we went to Hawaii, uh, would you rather go explore on your own or get a guide that will kind of take you around? So, um, some of you would rather have a guide, and some of you would rather go on your own. But what if you were going to a swampy jungle infested with snakes and spiders and alligators and danger and peril. Now would you want a guide? No, I'm just going to go explore on my own. 
All right. Uh, I would like to go with somebody who's been there before and learn how to navigate uh, the danger and so forth. Well, note to self, life is not Disneyland and life is not Hawaii. Life is full of challenges. Life is often like a jungle. Dangers at every turn. And so, what's the answer to that? Rewind last night's message. We must follow Jesus. He's the one that's been there before. He's the one that's taking our hand. He's the one that Paul uh, grabbed Jesus' hand. Paul met Jesus personally on the road to Damascus, and Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Don't follow me, but follow me as I follow Christ. And for us, none of us is at the head of the line. And none of us is at the back of the line. So we grab the hand of somebody who's gone on before us, and we grab somebody who's behind us, and together we move forward. We're all in this thing together, and none of us are it. And so how do you do that? Three things. You stay steady, you stay simple, and you stay servant-hearted. So, I mean, this could be a whole series. uh, But Paul says in Philippians 1.6, he said, um, I am confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you will perfect it or complete it or mature it or finish it in you until the day of Jesus Christ. So that's, that's a big, that's a big uh, idea in a short little verse. So backing up again, I am confident that he, who is he? Jesus. He who began a good work in you. So it starts with Jesus. He began this work in you. And uh, it's something that God started, and he will continue it in you. And he'll do it until the day of Jesus Christ. So for you theologians, you have justification, sanctification, and glorification in that verse. He who began a good work in you. He, when you said yes to Jesus, he saved you. He saved you. That is settled. You're going to go to heaven. You're going to be with him forever. You're his child. Just like the, the, the thief on the cross had no, no time to work his, you know, sanctification out. He went that day, and he was by Jesus' side in paradise. But God begins a good work in you. You're justified, and, and God declares you righteous like a judge with a gavel says, you are righteous. And we know very well we're not righteous. Uh, you make a mistake there, God. No. Justification is God's declaration over you that even though you are a sinner saved by grace, he declares you to be righteous. Just like that movie, Night's Tale with Heath Ledger. I don't recommend any movies. I'm not recommending this movie. There's a great scene at the end where uh, Prince Edward comes to Heath Ledger. He's in the stocks because he was pretending to be nobility, and he, and he wasn't, and he knew he wasn't. And, the, and this king's son comes up and says, release him. He says, my historians have found that he is of a noble birth. And the crowd starts going, no, like this. And he goes, this is the king's word, and it can't can't be changed. It's against all contestation. Jesus says, you are declared righteous, and don't argue with me. But I know that I just don't argue with me. You are justified. You are saved. 
He'll continue it in us. That's the process of sanctification. We are being saved. That's where Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Oh, we have to work it out on our own? No, you are saved. Now you are living it out. And you're growing to become more like Jesus until the day of Jesus Christ. And then eventually, our, our glorification, we will be saved. We have been saved. We're being saved. We will be saved. So this process requires us to keep it simple. We get so complicated. Oh, I learned that. I mean, when I was a, a school uh, administrator, we go, what if the third grade teachers say, oh, we taught that last year? You know, we don't have to do that again. I've often heard Christians say, oh, no, we've done stuff on prayer before. Yeah. Well, you're not praying, <laughs> so let's do it again. Yeah. So that's our job is to re, you know, refresh. It's like a big slow-moving train. You're preaching to them, you know, Jesus loves you, and, you, you know, let's get into the Word and the fellowship. And Jesus loves you, and, you know, it's like this. That's a, that's a pastor's life is always, always preaching uh, to the, those coming into the fold. So... Uh, stay simple, Acts 2.42. It's, it's a pattern. It's not a model. I would, I would suggest not using the word model. It's a pattern we see in Scripture. When Moses completed the tabernacle exactly as the Lord prescribed, uh, it was the pattern that God prescribed, then the glory fell. When we build our churches and when we build our lives and our marriages on the pattern we see in Scripture, the glory comes and God begins to... Uh, bring fruit there. So they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread of fellowship, and to prayer. That's pretty simple. Uh, honestly, you don't have time to do anything else. I mean, we can, we can learn stuff and help each other out, but it's, all, it's usually around style or around culture. And wherever you are in the world, you can do those uh, things. They devoted themselves the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread and fellowship and to prayer. No matter if you're under a tree in Central Africa or in a cathedral in France or, you know, a hut in uh, Indonesia, it, it doesn't matter. We could still do those things, but we have opportunity for lots of stylistic uh, differences, cultural differences. We stay servant-hearted. We stay simple. We stay steady. This thing with uh, Philippians 1.6, until Jesus comes, we stay simple. Uh, Acts 2.42, and then we stay servant-hearted. 1 Peter 4.10-11, Peter, you know, I just figured this out this week. Do you ever ask questions like this? Because I do. Peter wrote, writes a, 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 letter, a couple letters, and he gets them named after him. First and second Peter. John writes three and a gospel, and they're named after him. Jude and, and uh, uh James, write them, they get their names. And then Paul writes like 50 of them, and not one of them is named Paul. <laughs> how that happened? Yeah. So anyway, that's how I think. Um, sorry. <laughs> Please let not that be the takeaway. <laughs> Paul got chunked, so... <laughs> First uh, Peter 4, 10, 11, Peter says, each of you, each of you has a special gift or a unique gift. Um, I'm paraphrasing here. Use that gift to serve others. So God's given you a gift. Now, your gift isn't one little tiny little gift. You're the gift. 
You're the gift to the body of Christ. You're the part of the body of Christ. It's, it's you. It's your personality. It's your temperament that God made you. It's your physical abilities and, and mental capabilities. It's your personality. It's your parenting, uh, the, how you were brought up. It's your successes in life, your failures in life, your education, the dealings of God in your life, your, 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 your times that you've repented, and, and the Holy Spirit gifts that he gives. It's all you rolled up into one. You're the special. You're unique. Nobody else is like you. You're the gift. Use that gift to serve others so that God gets the glory. Not so that you get the glory, so we stay servant-hearted. God, you know, somebody who's humble is somebody who is willing to admit who they really are. God, I'm, I'm actually good at this. I'm terrible at that, but I'm good at this, so I'm going to use what I'm good at and serve everybody else, and I'll receive their strengths where I don't have something. Stay steady, stay simple, stay servant-hearted. So that's following Jesus. And I, I, I want to talk a little bit about styles and um, uh, the traditions uh, of, of man versus the Word of God for a few moments in this journey that we're on, following Jesus. Because, you know, this is a great gift, the Word of God. So we don't worship this Word. We worship the God of the Word. So uh, our first value is Jesus, loving him. Yeah. Uh, that, that needs to be unequivocal. It has to be passionate. It has to be real. And passionate for you might be in here just burning like this, and passionate for you. Somebody else might be jumping up and down and hooting. You know, there's, no, there's no definition in the Bible of what's passionate. Yeah. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, Paul says. So don't judge others because you're not doing and looking the same way. That's between them and the Lord. And, and um, so this is a great gift. We love Jesus, and then we love his word. Yes. And those are two great foundational things. That we, so we look through Scripture for a lot of what we do. A lot of what we do in the church is not in the Bible. And when my kids were growing up, I looked all through here for uh, what it says about R-rated movies. And it doesn't say anything about that. But there's patterns in here. In um, Philippians 4, 8, 9, I don't know, one of those places. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. So my kids had to memorize that growing up. Does that fit this movie? No. Like this. All right, you're not going. Thank you for agreeing with God's word. That's it. So it doesn't address everything, but it does address some things that we need to be aware of what those are. But a lot of what we do are what we call biblical. If it's in the Bible, it's biblical. If, it, if the Bible says don't do it, then it's, and we do it, it's abiblical. I mean, uh, unbiblical. And then there's the middle one, it's abiblical, means the Bible doesn't exactly address that, you know. So if it, if it doesn't go against God's word, then you have to go through the process of hearing from God. God, so-and-so does this. And Paul says, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Is it good for me to do this? That's where we live this life of faith, and we ask God, and we listen for his promptings, and, and so forth. So there's biblical, unbiblical, abiblical, biblical. and a lot is our preferences, 
you all have gray-ish chairs or graphite-colored chairs. Some churches have blue chairs, <gasps> like this. Some have green chairs. We had a church once that had orange, burnt orange velvet pews. Guess what decade those were built? All right, that was the 70s, that's right. And they lasted until the 90s, we're going, oh, Lord. So those, you don't, you don't go to heaven or not go to heaven. Paul, uh, Peter says on the day of Pentecost, repent and have orange pews, and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent and quit smoking. Repent and, let me, let me ruffle some feathers. Repent and believe in a seventh-day creation. There's things that churches split over that are not heaven or hell issues. Peter said, repent. That means go before God, acknowledge your sin, repent, get baptized. That's your declaration of your faith in Christ. And there's nothing added to that. We make it very complicated. So we have preferences. We have cultures. My dad was a very pastoral-hearted pastor. He loved people, uh, loved animals, uh, loved uh, the end times. He always preached out of Revelation, and Ezekiel and Daniel, and, uh, and uh, the, Paul's letters. And, and, uh, but if he was here last night, we wouldn't, none of us would be saved because we had drums here. We had a guitar. We didn't have a piano and an organ, which is, it's in the Bible somewhere. I know it is. You know, you have to have a piano and an organ. So, do you know uh, um, Luther, Martin Luther in the 1500s, Wesley in the 1600s, and and Spurgeon in the 1800s, uh, they, they never really knew each other. They're very famous uh, ministers in the past. Um, some songs and sermons and so forth. Uh, they had different theologies. Some of them leaned more toward um, uh, grace and, or licentiousness and some legalistic. And, you know, they had different things. I don't even want to say the words that they followed, but... They had different ways of doing stuff. You know, they all agreed on something. 100% they agreed. They said, this thing in the church is of the devil. It is Satan's weaseling, Satan weaseling his way into the church. Do you know what it was? Pianos and organs. <laughs> None of them would allow musical instruments in their church. We, we get, yeah, we get so, we get, sometimes we get so worked up about stuff, and it's not in, it's not in here. And we have to be very careful that we are making the traditions of man above the Word of God. I'm going to read you a story about a guy named Jim. This is the only story you're going to get from me today. Jim had a passion for God, a love for people, and a burden to communicate the gospel. So he wrestled with the question of how to bring the message of Christ in, into a setting that seemed so far from him. How could he help people see and embrace the truth 
when they had so little biblical understanding. The barriers seemed insurmountable. Their task appeared virtually impossible. Even with all the obstacles in front of him, Jim knew he had to try. God had given him a vision to make a difference in the lives of these men and women, so try he did. In fact, he went to great lengths to relate to their culture, lengths that would probably make you or me feel very uncomfortable. Following the example of the Apostle Paul of becoming all things to all people, uh, that's what he did for the sake of the gospel. What kind of risk? Well, for starters, he shaved his head right down to the skin. That is, except for a little patch of hair, he grew long into a ponytail. Not only that, he began wearing it in a pigtail and even dyed it a different color, all in an effort to fit in with the fashions of the people he wanted to reach. He also gave up his familiar business attire and began to dress like them. He even changed his eating patterns and started to dine in the style of the ones he cared so much about. Further, he worked hard to learn their vocabulary in the hopes that he would be able to effectively convey biblical teachings in their everyday street language. He read their papers, studied their ideas, went out of his way to discover and build on whatever areas of common ground he had with him. Jim didn't do all this from a distance. He actually moved into the neighborhoods with these people. He lived close to them and became their friend and spent extended periods of time talking with them, getting to know them, playing with their children. All of this in spite of their non-Christian lifestyles and in almost every case, their outright rejection of his message. What did other church leaders risk or think of all this? Did they celebrate Jim's tenacious commitment to reaching these unchurched people? Did they rally around him and support his courageous efforts? Did they uphold him in prayer and find ways to encourage him and spur him on in his bold evangelistic pursuits? Not even close. On the contrary, they mostly misunderstood, misrepresented, and even openly maligned him. The very people who should have supported and helped him turned their backs on him and his ministry. In many ways, he had to continue his efforts by himself with the backing of just a few close friends who shared his vision. Jim paid the price of loneliness, weariness, and discouragement, along with the criticism from much of the church. He also lived with the daily reaction of uh, most of those he wanted to reach, and he did this year after year after year. Jim saw the task, faced the opponents, followed the vision by the grace of God, fulfilled his calling. Jim is an extraordinary example of doing the work of evangelism in a difficult situation. His life is a powerful illustration of evangelism against all odds. Today, generations later, countless people from the neighborhoods he worked so hard to reach know and serve Jesus as their forgiver and leader. Jim, or as he's more widely known, James Hudson Taylor, is the man who more than a century ago gave up everything to build a ministry called China Inland Mission. More than anyone else, he's credited for turning so many in the nation of China to Christ. Today, he's regarded as one of the greatest pioneers of the modern missions movement. I sure would like to have that passion for the lost. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.22, to the weak, I became weak. 
that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all means I might win some. Wow. We, we, today, we don't give it a second thought. When people from other cultures, we send somebody to, to, to another culture and they have to spend a couple years learning the language and they have to learn the culture, get jobs, get to know people, and we celebrate that, that pioneering work. And yet, they're all around us. Every people group, every ethnos, every nation, every ethnicity, I think somewhere there's, I don't know, if Tyron said the number, there's, there's upwards of 10,000 plus people groups on this planet. Everyone needs to hear. Now, are you all going to go? No. Should, should you all be willing to go? Yes. Are you planning to go? Some of us are, are willing to, are, are planning to go, but willing, No. Willing to go, but planning to stay. And some of us need to plan to go, yet willing to stay. It's a big difference. So, traditions of man versus the Word of God. I'm going to... I said all that so you could get used to my accent, because I'm going to talk to Americans right now. So... uh, I love my nation. I was served in the military. I still get teary-eyed at the Star-Spangled Banner, as long as it's sung well, you know, not Roseanne, <laughs> not my cousin Roseanne Barr. So um, she's not my cousin, so thanks. <laughs> but the USA is not the kingdom of God. And as Americans, we need to hear that. The USA is temporal, the kingdom is eternal. And Jesus said, the kingdom is in you now. You're part of my kingdom. Yes, we love our nations. I I love it when I see the South Africans bantering with the New Zealanders on rugby. And, you know, just, it's, it's, that's, that's great. And honestly, the devil, small d devil, is trying to change the world into a one world government. I'm not, I'm not talking politics. It's in the Bible. But if you read Revelation, you'll see that people from every nation, every kindred, every tribe, every tongue are going to be there worshiping God. God has always celebrated diversity and, and, and variety and color and expressions and, and all these peoples that God in his creativity made are going to be there worshiping him forever. I think that's amazing. So, so what we see in, in Scripture is patterns. Just three patterns real quickly. First pattern we see in Scripture is eldership-governed uh, local churches. So my dad was a pastor. There was a deacon board in the church, and every year we had a church financial meeting. And as a, I remember as a, like 11, 12-year-old sitting in there. This is after several years. And uh, they'd be arguing about the copy paper, color, and and, uh, and, you know, these things that they're going to do. And then the, then the budget came up, and, and uh, then they'd start arguing about the amount of my, past, uh, my dad's salary. People, all, all the church, it's, it's 
happens too often, like 80, 85% of the churches in America. This goes on. Maybe it's getting less and less. But um, I, was, I remember sitting on this front row and saying, please vote for my dad. You know, that's not in the Bible. That is ungodly. It's ungodly. Do you know how I know? Because parents and family are a microcosm of the church, the local church. And God doesn't have children vote their parents in. There's no voting in Scripture. When they're six, they'll vote for you. But when they're 16, (laughs) it might be a different story. That's an amazing thing. We don't see that. But the pattern we see in every single local church in the New Testament, if we call ourselves New Testament churches, then let's look in the New Testament and see what they did. Every single local church had a team of elders, plural, leading, governing the local church in charge of government, uh, which is direction and discipline and doctrine. Direction is our vision where we're going and what we teach is our doctrine and discipline, keeping things decent and in order. That's their job. They're, they're, they're doing that. And so they're not elected. Uh, they're not ungodly. They're not tyrants. Let me read out of uh, 1 Peter 5, uh, chap, uh, verse 1. I'm reading out of the ESV. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. This is Peter talking to the church, to us. So that word elders in Greek is presbyteros. It's where we get the word Presbyterian. Uh, And he takes off his apostolic hat and puts on his local elder hat as a fellow elder. And the word basically means mature ones. Not necessarily in age, but in, in walk and in faith. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Shepherd, that uh, Greek word is poimen. Each of these has a verb and a noun. Like you can be a shepherd and you can shepherd. You can be an elder and you can elder. And the third one, Exercising oversight. That Greek word is episkopeo or episkopos. So that means to be an overseer. So you'll see often translated in different versions, bishop, overseer, uh, pastor, those things. So these three things, presbyteros, episkopos, and poimen, that's three sides of one job function, elder. So when we call people pastor, in our culture we know what that means. You know, my people at our church... Uh, said that I was their pastor. I, you know, I understand what that means in our culture, but it's really only one function of the three. Yeah. So there is the maturity there, the calling and so forth. There is the oversight. So the elder team, the, the team of elders, oversee all spec- aspects of the, of the life of the church and its affairs. So every elder is over worship ministry. In fact, the elders lead worship ministry. Every elder is over kids' ministry. Every elder is over youth ministry. Every elder is over administration. Sure, you assign people day-to-day functions administratively and so forth to keep things from being in a, 
you know, if you want to die, just do everything by committee. So, but elders oversee that. So if I went in my church, I would go to one of the youth leaders and say, hey, I really have a word for the church. I want you to fit me in in the next couple of weeks as an elder. I could do that. I could go talk to the worship team. Any one of the elders could, because the elders are equal. There's no one elder that's more equal than the others. There's different functions. For example, there's a leader on the eldership team, the point guy. So there is within the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. And in Genesis chapter 1, let us make man in our image. That wasn't just archaic King's English. Let us make man in our image. You know, it's not like that. It's the eternal fellowship of Father, Son, and Spirit, all having a part in creation. And so when Jesus said, I'm leaving, but the Father will send another helper. That means the helper is the Holy Spirit, Jesus as, as the Son. That means the Father sent me, and the Father's going to send the other one. So we are all equal. We're all equal, Father, Son, and Spirit. But yet, the function of the Father is point sometimes, to be the captain of the, of the ship, so to speak. But they're all equal. The, the Son is not less than the Father, and the Holy Spirit is not less than the Son. The Father is not less than, than the Holy Spirit. They're all equal, co-equal, eternal. And I can't figure it out. One God eternally existent in three persons. So, uh, we see locally... Uh, Every single church is governed by eldership. That's the pattern we see. Another pattern we see in Scripture is every single local church in the New Testament partners with the Ephesians 4 translocal gifts. Every single one. Antioch, Corinth, Jerusalem, Laodicea, Thyatira. Where are you from, Thyatira? So, everything, you know? Every single church in the, in, in the New Testament. And so when Paul writes to the church at Corinth, see, they get the name of the book, not Paul. I think it should be Paul number one and Paul number 28, you know. So anyway, so the church at Corinth, which was wacko, they were so far out. They had the power of the Holy Spirit, but they were like one-year-olds or two-year-olds holding a shotgun. There's a lot of power and no maturity, all right? It's dangerous. And so he brings in strong correction. He loved them, and it's really good stuff. Um, but he didn't say, okay, as your apostle, I, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to take away your charter. I'm going to take away your building, or we're going to put in a new pastor in there. None of that. Here's what Paul said. I appeal to you as a father. That's, what he, that's the only authority he had is this partnership and relationship that they had. So when the, the, the translocal team, the Ephesians 4 gifted ministries come into the local church, they only come in, the only authority they have is what the eldership gives them and says, we'd like you to come in and speak to our people. And then, the, then the, on the next tier of authority is the, it, whether or not people receive it. That's it. There's, there's no signing on the dotted line. There's none, none of that kind of stuff. It's a partnership, a friendship, a relationship. And so what, what do the five-fold ministry people do? The, for example, uh, Ephesians 4 evangelist. 
When I was younger, I remember younger in my walk with God, we'd go, what are you? Are you more an apostle? Are you more an evangelist? Are you more of this and that? Everybody had to be one of those five. No, the gift or the office that we see in Ephesians 4 is separate from, like, evangelist is different from evangelistic. Evangelistic is the result of an evangelist working into the local church. Apostolic is the result of an, a true apostle who is working into the local church. And there are apostles. There's, I have a list of 30 or 35 apostles in the New Testament that are named apostles. Sometimes we go, no, there was only 12. Yeah, those 12 have an honored place in church history. They do, the ones that Jesus. But there's many more because Jesus said, I'm sending you. And the word apostle, by the way, is simply Greek for the same Latin word, which is translated as missionary. What does missionary mean? Sent one in Latin. What does apostle mean? Sent one in Greek. The same thing. So uh, we've changed the Ephesians for gifted ministries in our culture today and sending out missionaries. But, but actually, Jesus think, uh, was to go and, and tell people about Jesus, gather a group of people together, and then have an ongoing local church. So um, the apostle's job, when he leaves, oh, a true evangelist, when he leaves, people want to tell people about Jesus. A true evangelist, his deposit in the local church is a greater passion for the lost. A true apostle, when they come into a local church, is a greater passion for the kingdom, the kingdom of God. A true uh, teacher, in, the, in a translocal Ephesians 4 gifted teacher, um, is when he leaves, there's a greater passion for the word. And a true Ephesians 4 pastor, when he leaves, there's a greater passion in the people for, for um, the sheep in, in the local church. And a, and a, and a prophet, yes. this one took me a long time to figure out. And I'm just submitting it to you because I don't have it. it. I'm not it, but this is what I think. A true prophet, when he leaves the local church. It's not that everybody wants to go around prophesying over everybody, but a true prophet, when he leaves, the deposit is a greater passion for his presence. Mm. Moses, who was the greatest prophet ever, said, God, if your presence doesn't go before me, I don't want to take these people there. Yeah. It's the presence of all, Almighty God and, and the awe and, and, and the awareness of, of who he is. So, all these adjectives need to be working in all of us. And sometimes it takes the outside Ephesians for giftings. Those are gifts that Christ gave to his bride. They're good gifts that Christ gave to his bride, uh, the church. Uh, they need to be in operation. And not one local church has everything there. And so we need outside input and at, at our invitation. So, all right. So another... Uh, Another pattern in Scripture is the Holy Spirit. So we don't have time to go into that today, but the Holy Spirit. Uh, in fact, we don't... Uh, sometimes we... I agree with Francis Chan. He wrote a book called The Forgotten God because he grew up in sort of an evangelical-type background. I did too, and I knew exactly what he's talking about. Uh, that, yeah, you just... You sing about them and holy, 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 you know. Uh, you mention them once in a while, but the Holy Spirit is real. He's the comforter. He's the advocate. He's the one that stays with us. Uh, he's the one that leads us and guides us into all truth. We wouldn't know anything what this says 
if we didn't have the Holy Spirit and so forth. So, um, so Jesus talked about traditions of man versus the Word of God. I've just mentioned three little, well, they're pretty big, uh, patterns in Scripture. And a lot of times we take our own way of doing things uh, and in interjecting it into the local church. So here's what Jesus said. And he wasn't, he wasn't really happy. He was really giving it to him. Jesus replied, you hypocrites, in Mark 7, 6 through 13. You hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God, for you ignore God's law and substitute your own traditions. Mm. I remember growing up, it was a law in my church that you had to wear a tie on Sundays. Every Sunday afternoon or evening, I would have a headache. I hate ties. I'm going to preach a sermon someday called Ties Are of the Devil. And so, <laughs> anyway, we were on vacation in Hume Lake, California, and Terry's dad and my dad were in a pastor's conference, and it was Sunday, and we had to dress up in our long black pants, my brother and I, in our long sleeve white shirts and a skinny black tie. It looks like we were waiters when we were, you know, 10, 11 years old. And we, they let us go to the edge of the lake, but we couldn't go swimming. And I was one of those kids that just go, why? Why? Well, because it's Sunday. Jesus, Jesus would go swimming. It's hot, you know. I'm sure he would thank God for it. So, I mean, there are things that we do, and we have to say, every, everything we do, we need periodic checks. Is this in God's Word, or is it just our style? Now, we can have a style. Like I would, a st some people's style is uh, we meet together on Sunday morning at 10. Well, I want to meet at 2 in the afternoon. Well, it's not in the Bible or in the Bible, but that's the d direction and leadership of the local elders and, and, and so forth. So you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. Then he said, you skillfully sidestep God's law in order to hold to your own tradition. Wow. And, he, and Jesus just gives an example. And basically, uh, it's about not honoring your father and mother, which is in the Ten Commandments. Because these guys would say, I won't take, I'm not going to give you mom and dad any money I, I, because I promised to give it in, in the offering. You know, it's like, you can't sidestep one for the other. So this way, you d let people disregard this down in verse 12 their needy parents, so you can cancel the Word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. And this is one example from among many others. So, I asked my people at my church not to call me Pastor Steve. But we were brought up to be, that's respectful. Yeah, but you're a plumber, and I don't call you Plumber Bob. <laughs> it's, it's what I do, it's not who I am. And there's a big difference. And so if you read all the books that Paul uh, wrote that his name is not on, as the title, every single one, it says Paul, comma, an apostle. That's what he did. It's not who he was. And then you could just go to Jesus, straight to Jesus. He says, don't call anyone father. Don't call anyone teacher. Don't get into this title thing. 
We are brothers and sisters in Christ. So that's a little tradition. And, and I, I started to think about, why don't, we, why don't we call people pastor? Because it breaks down the priesthood of all believers. When Jesus died on the cross, said it's finished, there was an earthquake, it turned dark, and the, the veil in the temple was torn from top to bottom. A thick curtain. Top to bottom. Signifying that we could come straight into the presence, the holy of holies, into God's presence. All believers now can come straight to God. We don't need to go through a priest. and we don't need, There's one sacrifice, all this kind of stuff. And you know what? Most believers would rather just say, you know, pastors, elders, you're on a little pedestal there. We want you to pray all week. We want you to read your Bible. And on Sunday, you just kind of tell us a summary. Not too long. And we want you to tell you if this is right or this is wrong. No, you go to God. Because this is not a... This is not a binoculars to look at other people, to judge people. This is a mirror that says, exposes me. Too often we use this to judge other people. This is for me. So so putting your elders or pastors in our culture, it's done everywhere on a pedestal, breaks down that priesthood of believers. God's called all believers to be the priesthood of all believers. It's back in Exodus. Uh, it's in 1 Peter 2, 9, but your chosen race royal uh, priesthood, and we can all go to the hospital and pray for the sick. We can all share Jesus with our friends. We can all minister to the needy and the poor. Each one of us can do those things. So John Wesley said, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not a straw, whether they be clergymen or laymen, such alone will shake the gates of hell and bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So, bless you guys. Love you. Thanks for listening.